you for leading us in that. Uh, it reminds us that what our job to do is, not our job, our mission, our joy, the thing that compels us is to declare God's kingdom, and those things were declared as signs of the kingdom. So, I want to remind you, as, we've, as Larry told us in the welcome, that um, next week, August 21st, is Back to School Blessing. I appreciate something. I got a text from Wagey that said something like this uh, this week from the West Art Youth Group. It said, just because summer is over, just because all of your mission trips and events are over, that doesn't mean your faith ends at the end of summer. It doesn't mean that we just shut it off. That's not just true for our young people. That's true for all of us. And one of the best ways that you can continue it, and you can do this for yourself as well as others, is to invite people to the back-to-school blessing next Sunday. We're, in all the years that we've done this, church, I really want to emphasize the focus on inviting others to share in that blessing with us. I'm looking around, and we've got plenty of room for guests to come join us. I'm looking around right now, and we've got plenty of space for people to sit. And if some of us who've been here forever have to sit along the side on the wall, you know what? That'll be a good thing, and we'll, we'll be happy doing that. And... Um, um, you know, we can bring chairs right up here. It's whatever we need to do. But, I, but, but hey, that's not going to happen unless you will do this. Now, again, invite your, invite your classmates. Invite people over on campus. Invite other school workers. Every year someone's going to ask me, you know, but what about this school worker? I want this to be the first year where nobody asks me that question. You know, what about bus drivers? What about this? If you drove by a school, okay, you're in, all right? And I'm raising the stakes, okay, uh, just to show you that we're not going to be legalistic with God's blessings. Based on the, um, well, just as a response, just uh, I think it's the right thing to do, and it may give some of you an opportunity to invite. Because of the things that happened this last week uh, with the, the shooting in, in Hackett, Let's invite our friends in law enforcement, okay? Let's do that. Some of, you, some of you are in law enforcement. Some of you know people in that. I appreciate that we have a team of people who are always looking out for us right here. Will you invite people in that field? Because there is a tie to the schools. But even if there's not, who cares? Invite them so that they can share in God's blessings with us. And it's one of the ways that we can show that we're thinking about them and we're praying for them. So here's what I want you to do right now. Uh, we're going to do a little rehearsal, okay? That's right. You don't get to fall asleep during this sermon. Uh, we're going to do a little something here. And what I want you to do is, you know, we're used to this at the beginning of service, you know, standing up and greeting one another, right? But I want to give you some coaching on this, and this is a bit of a rehearsal. I want you to turn to the people next to you. If you don't know them, please introduce yourselves to them and get to know each other. Uh, it'd be a shame that we're always sitting next to people that we don't really know. Okay, well, now hold on, don't do that yet. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Wait for it. Okay, now the, um, now the other thing I want you to do is I want you to say to the person, because we're going to invite everybody else, but what about inviting one another? I want you to invite them to the back-to-school blessing next week and say, I hope you're there, I want to see you there. Now, of course, that's going to put some of us on the spot because we've already got plans next week and we're not going to be here. Don't, don't, don't make excuses. Just say you're not going to be here, okay? This is invitation rehearsal, not excuse rehearsal. We don't need rehearsal for excuses. We're good at that. So don't, don't worry about that part. 
I'm being mean. Uh, don't worry about that part, but, but do this. If you're not going to be here, say to the person that's talking to you, I won't be here next week, but will you pick up one of the prayer magnets for me, and I'll pray for those people all year long. How about that? All right, I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes. Let's do this. Let's get in the habit of doing this. Let's stand up, and let's say this to one another, okay? Because when Jesus said the fields were ready for harvest, pray to the Lord of harvest to send out workers, in all of that, he doesn't say pray that the Lord of harvest will, will uh, you know, farm out or delegate the job of bringing in the harvest. No, the Lord of the harvest is still the Lord of the harvest, and you and I are the workers. Pray with me. Father, I ask that you would give us the kind of encouragement that we've just experienced here for just a, a minute or two. And I pray that we'll carry that kind of encouragement with us into the week. And Lord, give us the eyes to see. Give us the ability to pay attention, to listen to those who may need a word of blessing, that they just need a word of hope and truth, and maybe they need an invitation to come and join us, whoever they are, wherever they, uh, however we may know them. And Father, I pray that you would bless everyone here, that they'll have that encouragement and that confidence and that joy to be a part of that. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm looking forward to next Sunday already. As we finish up this Sunday, the series of lessons on Join the Resistance, I want to thank you for your feedback on these sermons. And my, my, my goal has been that this gives us a new perspective on what it means to be a disciple, on what it means to overcome sin, to recognize that we're living in enemy-occupied territory and we're in a resistance movement, that being a disciple is a bold enterprise, that it calls on us to sabotage the dark power that corrupts this world and that can corrupt even us. And so we're ending this series with the concern that started it for me months ago. It came out of a... uh, a conversation. And before I ever preached one sermon in this or gave one lesson on this, I had a conversation with someone about depression and anxiety. At the Olympics this week, I've been paying attention to the stories, and one of the things that's coming forth is that many of the athletes have had their own battle with some form of depression or anxiety. And you begin to notice that here are people who are in the peak of physical health. They're strong. They're fast. They have no injuries. They have no illnesses. And yet their struggle, in some cases, has been an invisible injury, an invisible woundedness, something that they have to struggle with to overcome. And it, it has... In some cases, it has stopped them from doing their sport. These invisible injuries don't show up. It's part of their story. It's part of who they are. But it isn't something that we can see. This this idea of a resistance came to me, again, from this conversation that I was talking about. And I want to tell you right now, this is all a very individual and personal 
perspective, okay? So I guess this is the point at which I put that caveat on here that says, I am not a medical doctor, I am not a counselor. If you've ever come to talk to me, you've heard my I'm not a counselor speech. I break all the rules and I don't do it the way it's supposed to. That's fine because there's other people who are much more qualified to do that, and I'm not taking anything away from them. But I do know this much. I know that depression and anxiety are, it's a large category involving emotions and thoughts and behaviors, and there's a lot of different ways of describing how that manifests itself for people in different ways. For some people, they'll experience it once. Many of us are going to express or experience some form of depression or worry or anxiety, maybe just for a moment. But for some, it lasts for a season, and for others, it may follow them their whole life. In this conversation, this person who was depressed and anxious had failed over and over again at his attempts to find a fix. And every time that one of those fixes failed, some diagnosis, some some method, some solution, it just made things worse. But then the phrase from Scripture came to him, resist the devil. That phrase shows up twice, once in James, once in 1 Peter. That phrase was a turning point. It allowed the the individual to see that the depression and the anxiety was something that wasn't just a brokenness within himself, but it was something out there that could be resisted. Since then, I've talked to others I know who strive to overcome depression and anxiety, and many of them say that it's been a burden to try to find some emotional switch to try to find the fix. But the idea of some form of resistance, something to push back against, has been a turning point. Now, that may not work for everyone who faces depression and anxiety. I'm not saying that, but I find it interesting that it's worked for a lot of people. And I think that what that does for us is that opens up a way for all of us understanding That in some ways, we're not promised that everything's just going to go A-OK and everything's going to be fine. But that in some way, all of us are going to face life and it's going to be a form of resistance against the darkness, against the evil one, and against sin. Time out. i got to put another asterisk on here. I want you to hear this clear and I'm going to come back to it. At no point am I saying... That if somebody is depressed, that that's a sin. At no point am I suggesting that if somebody is anxious, that that in itself is a sin. Don't think that. In fact, how we respond to that and other things, that's where the sinfulness may come in. But in and of itself, that's not the sin. We'll explain this in a bit. This idea of the resistance, of fighting something that can't be seen, It might be like the way we describe the fight against cancer or an illness. It has been much better to think in terms of this than to think in terms of the quick fix. 
that there's going to be some fix. And I'm telling you, this is going to be harder for us than we may realize because it's part of the culture that we live in. It's part of the air that we breathe that things can be fixed. And it's nothing new. It's been around for 200, 300 years at least. It's been here longer than any of us have been around. Because you and I live in an age of enlightenment and modern thinking that says that we can fix anything if we want to. That if we just apply enough brain power and money and effort, we can solve every problem. And I think now, for the first time in centuries, we're learning to be a bit more humble about that, especially when it comes to humans. What this fix-it mentality does for people who are dealing with depression and anxiety, but you can apply this to a lot of things, is it, it gives people the pressure to get over it. So many well-intentioned people will say to someone who's struggling, you know, you just got to find a way to get over it. You know, I don't know. Do something. Go on. Get over it. You know, watch a happy movie. Go out and walk a few laps. Just whatever it is. Sometimes people give solutions that aren't helpful at all. But whatever it takes, you just find a way to get over it. And I guarantee you that if people could find that magic switch that allows them to turn it and they're okay, they would do it. But there is no such switch because... We're not machines. Sometimes there's a shame for not having enough faith. And we need to, again, this isn't just a sermon for those who are depressed and anxious. This is a sermon for all of us to think about how we're helping one another and how we're ministering to one another. Can you imagine telling someone with a physical ailment, you know, your two broken legs would be healed if you just had enough faith? That'd be ridiculous. That'd be unkind. Can you imagine telling somebody, you know, I know you've got heart disease, and they say that it's going to kill you. If you had enough faith, God would have healed you with that, so you must not have enough faith. I've actually heard those conversations. Not here, different place. But do we not do the same thing with people who are fighting these invisible, unseen injuries? Ah, you know, It's a sin to be depressed. You shouldn't be depressed. It's a sin to be anxious. You shouldn't feel that way. Uh, You just just don't have enough faith. Get some faith and everything will be all right. That's not necessarily the case. In fact, sometimes faith can be elusive when the dark clouds come. Sometimes people hide the unseen injuries with an artificial joy. Put on the happy face. I understand there's a place and a time for fake it until you make it. But when we're looking for fake it to be the fix, then we're thinking that's going to help. Sometimes people use chemicals. Sometimes people use substances. I'm not talking about prescribed substances. I'm talking about the things that people go to to make them happy. Have a few beers. Everything will be okay. You know, Just drink yourself into happiness. These are an artificial joy. And you know, a lot of people that I know who deal with depression and anxiety, some of them, they're not the ones who are going for that. They know better than that. But you would be amazed at how many people give them advice to do stuff like that. Again, it all comes from this idea that there's some fix, that we can fix you, that we can fix the problem, as if we're all machines. The best, or the worst, I guess, attitude 
is the one that these things are just emotional. It's that word, just. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just emotional. Of course it's emotional. That's part of the problem. But it also has to do with thoughts, and that can lead to behavioral problems. Nothing is just. Would we say that about physicality? Oh, my friend has cancer. Yeah, it's just physical. We would never be so kind and uncaring. But this is, and I'm not, I'm not scolding us for that. I'm telling you, this is the environment that we live in because we live in an age that sees human beings as machines. And I don't know if you've heard me say this or not, but we are not machines. You can't fix us the way you can fix a 1973 Ford Mustang. You can take that thing apart. You can redo all the parts. You can repaint it. And guess what? It might be better than it was when it came off the factory floor. But you and I are not built like that. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. And we can't be modified or souped up in any way the same way a machine can. So let me invite all of us to resist the fix-it mentality when it comes to our friends, when it comes to ourself, when we experience depression, anxiety, the blues, the downloads, whatever you want to call it. We may be well-intentioned, but sometimes we try to fix depression. And it doesn't fix like that. Because, get this, when you or a family member or a friend are dealing with depression or anxiety and you try to fix it and the fix doesn't work, guess what happens? It gets worse. It's like a a never-ending cycle of pouring gasoline on fire, and it just makes it worse. And I believe that this is one of the evil ones, one of the devil's greatest schemes, is to get us to that place where we feel like we can upgrade ourselves, and everything's going to be okay. In fact, you could argue that that's the original sin, that the serpent convinced Adam and Eve, hey, guess what? You're fine, God made you a certain way, but this little apple, this little patch, whatever it is, I know it wasn't an apple, don't, okay, all right, you caught that, all right, so, you know, but maybe it was, ha, you didn't, okay, so whatever it was, this forbidden fruit, they're looking at it as, hey, you know what, if we eat this, guess what, we'll upgrade, we'll upgrade humanity, haven't we been trying to do that in all sorts of ways ever since then? We're not machines to be fixed. We are the crown of creation made in the image of God. And we have his spirit imprinted on us. There's got to be a better way, and I think that there is. And I told you that this verse about resisting the devil, you find it in 1 Peter and you'll find it in James. Right there in the same neighborhood where you find Peter saying, resist your enemy. He says your enemy is like a lion prowling around trying to find those that he can devour. But right there in that same neighborhood in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, he says, cast all your anxieties on him, him being God. Why? Because he cares for you. The lie of the dark power is that you and I are machines. We're just sort of meat machines, you know, organic machines, and there's always some way we can be fixed. Now, there may be ways that we can be helped. It may be medicine, and it may be counseling, and it may be spiritual disciplines. All of those things come together. That's just kind of how we run and operate. But we can't be fixed the same way machines are. 
but we do have a creator that cares for us. We have, a, we have access to a support system like you wouldn't believe. The one who made us cares for us. And so here is Peter, thousands of years ago, and he says, cast your anxieties on him. He'll help you carry the burden. Why? Because he cares for you. And I think that points us towards the kind of family we ought to be, the kind of spiritual family we ought to be. One where care and prayer come together. I mean, stop and think about it. Look at, look at how we do. Let's brush up on this because we're good. Uh, by the way, in all of the Olympic sports, those who've told their stories that they've overcome this, they always point to some support system that they found. They always point to the others who helped them through whatever situation they were dealing with. And the same thing happens in the family of God. We need to sometimes, though, move past our pride, move past our fear, move past our shame, and let that process and that support system that comes from the Creator go into action so that we can, so that we can build the resistance. Now let's brush up on this. I mean, when, when, when we... I mean, you look at our bulletin today. You look at our bulletin today, and it will show you that this is a caring congregation. We, people think to ask us to pray. Our elders have told you they, they consider it a mission and a privilege to pray. They are ready to pray. They'll come pray with you. We have members here that do that. We have people who that's their giftedness, and we're constantly, all of us in different ways, showing our care. Why do we pray for the sick? Because we care about them. Because we know that, that there's something that needs to be done to show care and that that care needs to reach up to the Father and there needs to be some way of casting our anxieties on Him so that He can help. And so what do we say when we say to those who are sick? We say things that represent our care. When we're at our, when we're at our best, we say things that say, you know, we don't know all the answers, but we're going to find a way through this. And maybe the best thing that we say is, I'll tell you what, anything you need, you ask us because you're not alone in this. We say that to those who are suffering physical illnesses. But who in their right mind would ever come to someone and say, what's wrong with you? You broke a bone? It's just a bone. You get over it. Rub some dirt in it. You're fine. Cast? Oh boy, you're weak. Come on. Walk on it. Walk it out. But my bone is broken. Ah, get over it. It's just physical. We would never do that. We see that injury. We know that injury. We can recognize that injury. But it's those unseen injuries, those invisible ailments. What do we do with those? How should we care for those? Well, what if we did it exactly the same way? What if we went to people and said, what if we spoke to people and we said, you're not going to go through this alone. We're going to go to the Father. We're going to pray. We're going to get through this. We don't have all the answers, but we do know this. You'll not be alone, and we know that we can cast our anxieties on God because He cares for us. I guess there's some fears sometimes. We worry about situations. There's always that, but what if? And sometimes I think the dark power is using those what-if scenarios to get us to just completely shut down and not, not take action at all. Sometimes they call that you know, paralysis by analysis. 
That every time we think, we need to go out, we need to invite people, we need to go do this, we need to set up this. We need... Yes, but have you considered these situations? What happens if this happens? Well, we better not do anything then. Watch out for that kind of discouragement. That's where we may need to put up the resistance. I've wondered, you know, well, if we do this, if we show this same care, what about those who use their emotional problems to manipulate others? I mean, what do we do about that? Sure, some people will use, phys- will use even their emotional problems in that way, but some people will use physical problems in that same way. It doesn't stop us. Sin is always a bad solution to overcome these things. Now, as I said, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a doctor. But there's a few things I can say about this, that when it comes to overcoming these things, and part of today is just naming these things, so that if this is what you or a family member or you as a family are dealing with, whether it's for a moment or whether it's for a season or whether it's for your life, I just want you to know right now we're not afraid to talk about this. We're not afraid to mention this. And you don't need to feel like you're a sinner and you ought to be shamed because this is something that you're dealing with. Okay? I'm not saying you have to talk to everybody about it. But I am saying you need to first put your anxieties, take your anxieties to God because he cares for you. And then you may also find help with God's people. And overcoming these things, it could look like one of these or all of these. It might be physical. There might be a brain chemistry issue that needs to be dealt with. Go see a doctor. Talk to someone about it who, who, who is qualified in this area. It may be spiritual. There are spiritual resources in the body of Christ. There are people who can apply spiritual resources to overcoming these things. It may be behavioral. I'll just be blunt. Some of us, we take care of these problems in unhealthy ways. That can lead to addictions. That can lead to anger. That can lead to resentment. We need to turn to others and create accountability to overcome the bad behavioral choices. And we can turn to others in the spirit of of accountability and create better behavioral choices that are going to help us. And finally, you know, it may be mental. It may be that there's some bad thinking that we need to work on. And again, we can do that. This is why we are in partnership with uh, a group like the Care Clinic, just down the street with John Brown University. Because we believe that that's important to have those resources, and that resource may help you or others, or it may help somebody else. But all of these things come into play because we are made, we're not divided up creatures that are, again, we're not mechanical. You can't take our mental, you can't take our behavioral, our spiritual, and physical apart and tinker with them and put it back together. We are all of those things. And this is why God calls us to love him with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And you don't divide those up. That's a way of saying with your whole being because that's who you are. The resistance movements of history. And by the way, where do we find help? Where do we find care and help? From God and with our family in Christ. You are not alone. The resistance movements of history were not just fought in streets or fields. They were also struggles in the hearts and the souls and the mind of a people. Because 
you and I may not know what it's like, most of us may not know what it's like to have our country and our nation taken over and occupied. But these people lost everything external that they thought gave them identity, and they had to find a way to stay, to keep that spirit of who they were in those lands of occupation. It's like the ancient Israelites, the Jews, who found themselves exiles in another land, and they had to ask, okay, if we don't have our land, if we don't have our king, if we don't have our, our, um, our temple, then, then who are we? And this is why I think this quote from C.S. Lewis has meant so much to many of us. Because we're recognizing that we live in a world that's not our home. That this world out there in an unseen way is enemy-occupied territory. And so Christianity is the story of how a rightful king has landed and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. But remember, we don't fight against flesh and blood. Our fight, our struggle is not going to be won by violence. Sometimes that enemy-occupied territory is in here or in our heart. It's inside of us. And we've got to form the resistance there. But know this. When we're involved in that resistance, we're not alone. When we engage in that sabotage, we're not alone. And we have the rightful king on our side. It's interesting to me that in these verses, in Peter and James that talk about resisting the devil, they both indicate action. Cast your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. But one of the things that keeps us from casting our anxieties on him sometimes is our pride. We say to ourselves, ah, it's just emotional, I'll get over it. We don't want to open up to anybody and tell them what we're going through. But right there in James 4, right in the same neighborhood as resist the devil and he'll flee from you, is the word in James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. In this mechanical age, this age of seeing people as machines and thinking that we can fix everything on our own, we think that it's up to us to lift ourselves, and it's not. Only God can truly lift us up. That's the invitation this morning. Simple as that. Humble yourself before the Lord, and He'll lift you up. If you want to go and share that with the elders in room 100, for some privacy, you're, you're encouraged to do that. If you just want to let it be known here, as elders will be up here to receive you, we don't have to report everything that's said to the congregation. Just let them know and they'll pray for you. In fact, we don't have to report on it. Sometimes we get this silly notion that anything that we do up here, we have to have a report on it. You know, when you see people, people say, well, I want to know what they came up there for. They'll tell you. If that's you and I, if that's our business, they'll tell you. The main thing I want is I don't want you to let today go by without humbling yourselves before the Lord so that he can lift you up, so that you can join the resistance. Let's stand. Let's sing together.